This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hey folks, I hope you'll spread the word about Kick-Ass News and share us with at least two friends this week. Or better yet, share Kick-Ass News with all your friends on Facebook or Twitter. And if you really want to help, donate to our GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com slash KickAssNews. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the podcast. The Georgia State Militia is led by Chris Hill, or as he prefers to be called, General Blood Agent? Yes, sir. Do you really feel like the government is limiting your access to guns? And I think I tripped over four on the way here. If I want an automatic weapon, a fully automatic, I should have a fully automatic weapon. Should you? It's to protect myself from harm, to, and, and more importantly, to protect our country from tyranny. Right now they have the severed head of a pig that they're prying open with a knife so they can fill it with explosives to shoot it with a gun. Tannerite. Tannerite. It's not explosives. Just like the founding fathers did it. No, they used black powder and cannonballs. Right. That was The Daily Show's Jordan Klepper, who believes he can fix America's gun problems and do it in a one-hour Comedy Central special called Jordan Klepper Solves Guns. His strategy is simple. Change the minds of every gun owner in the United States one person at a time. But he becomes increasingly aware that it's the legislative red tape and special interests much more than any cultural rift or partisan rancor that's keeping the nation from simple safety reforms. Jordan Klepper Solves Guns, a one-hour special combining documentary filmmaking, comedy, and investigative journalism, debuts Sunday, June 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern on Comedy Central. And today, Jordan comes on the podcast to talk about it. Jordan Klepper is a correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, which he joined in 2014 under Jon Stewart and continued after Trevor Noah took over as host in 2015. In his time at The Daily Show, Klepper has defined himself with both his studio work and his segments in the field, ranging from his multi-part series exploring the reality of being, quote, a good guy with a gun, to his field pieces at Trump rallies, which have garnered millions of views. And now, Klepper was recently tapped by Comedy Central to launch his own late-night series, which will air weeknights following The Daily Show beginning this fall. Today, Jordan joins me on the podcast to talk about his new one-hour special, Jordan Klepper Solves Guns, and how Americans really aren't so far apart on the issue of gun safety. He reveals what or who inflames the passions on both sides of the gun debate, some surprising data on where rank-and-file NRA members stand on things like background checks, and how certain constitution-waving Americans tend to be selective about what parts of that document they choose to honor. Plus, he talks about bringing his gun-owning cousin Pete on the program, embedding with the Georgia militiamen, and covering Trump rallies for The Daily Show during the 2016 election. Coming up with the hilarious and insightful Jordan Klepper in just a moment.
A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I've got a guy from Kalamazoo, and wouldn't you know that he's on my show? He's Jordan Klepper of Comedy Central's The Daily Show. Jordan, thanks for joining me. Thank you for serenading me. That's a, that's a bold start. I, I appreciate it. I have completely exhausted all of my references for Kalamazoo, Michigan now. Uh, now he, Derek Jeter's from there. Maybe you can make a oh, Yankees okay. reference later okay. on. I was going to say, once people pull out the obscure 1940s Tex Beneke song out of their pocket, do they have anything to follow that up with? That's what is usually the second it. reference it's, it's to Kalamazoo? They usually just reference back to that. Oh, okay. And, okay. and a lot of people don't even know that song, which is a shame. Yes. It's a great little ditty. It it's really fun to dance to. <laughs> if you've never seen the movie that that's from, there's oh, an unbelievable that. dance sequence uh, that goes along with it that you will watch and you it will kind of blow your mind how talented the dancers were back then. Not... <laughs> <laughs> no slight against any dancers of today, but the dancers yeah. of yesteryear, when a Kalamazoo <laughs> tune comes on, uh, they go to town. Now, does this movie take place in Kalamazoo? The special that I'm working on? Oh, no. The oh, movie the movie. That, oh, the, oh, the obscure I, I, I'm Glenn going Miller right to movie promo. that you just I'm going right to promo right here. Uh, Shameless. Can I, can, Shameless. Uh, Jordan Klepper solves guns, uh, June 11th. <laughs> This movie, I've actually never seen the entirety of the movie. It takes place in a giant ballroom, so I'm guessing it does not take place in Kalamazoo. Unless it was a a celery field or an outdoor mall, it's probably not Kalamazoo, Michigan. Now, I have no idea. Is Kalamazoo a big town? or It sounds like it's like a little country town. Just the name almost sounds like something off Bugs Bunny or something. So I have no idea what to expect. It feels almost mystical. It's... In fact, the city's motto, it's on all the t-shirts, are, yes, there really is a Kalamazoo. So it's already defensive (laughs) that you're questioning where the town is. It's like, we get it. It sounds fake and made up. But it's about, I think it's about 80,000 folks. So it's a a decent-sized town, smack dab between Chicago and Detroit. Okay. And I I read somewhere that you double majored in math and theater at Kalamazoo College. How's the math degree serving you? Let me tell you. you. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I'd like to say that I use... It, it sharpened the logic part of my brain, although okay. that is definitely me retrofitting, spending four years focusing on math. Yeah. What, what does anyone need a logic part of their brain for anymore? And I think, I, it I, seems almost antiquated. I think that I think that has gone, you know, now all we need is the gut. It's just like <laughs> if you could just heighten emotion and feeling uh, righteous indignation, that's I think what they should yeah. be teaching college students. <laughs> now, you were both an alum of the famous improv groups Second City and Upright Citizens Brigade, UCB. Um, did you find that there was a different vibe or style between the Chicago improv and the New York improv? For sure. I kind of, I came up in Chicago where I did stuff at Second City and uh, the Improv Olympic, um, which was sort of my home there. Chicago prides itself in much more of the improv as an art form and the character-based improv. And it's been doing it longer than, say, the New York scene has. And you get to uh, New York. What was fun was to see how uh, the art of improv kind of uh, grows in its own community, and Chicago hmm. feels very Chicago. And then uh, the folks at the UCB, uh, uh, Amy Poehler, Matt Besser, uh, Ian Roberts, and Matt Walsh, like took that Chicago style, landed in New York with it, and it kind of got its own New York identity, which huh. was a little bit uh, faster, a little bit uh, bittier than Chicago, yeah. uh, a little bit more rock and roll. So it was kind of fun to get a feel <laughs> as to like how the city imprints itself onto improv. Yeah. And I think if you're just an audience member, you're just like, I, they're still just doing scenes where they're pretending to hump one another. But you can <laughs> feel a citywide difference. Yeah, it's like pizza. Chicago pizza versus New York pizza. Exactly, right? 
Not really, I guess. I no, I, those I are that. those are two things that are different. I think I would agree I with you on that. I just named two things that are different. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're great at that. That's all you need. Yes. Um, now, another weird non sequitur here. <laughs> this is just my own personal random curiosity, but I saw on your Wikipedia page that you have this great photo of you and your wife with a copy of Groucho and Me. Was there some significance to that? Are you a Marx Brothers fan, or was it just that I, background? I, I am a Marx Brothers fan. We did a show in Chicago years and years ago called Comedy Covers, where you would take uh, you'd have a, a a comedian in town, a performer, and take some uh, piece of comedic history, some sort of a performance piece, and you would cover it like you would a karaoke song, and so. You take an old Marx Brothers piece or an Abbott Costello or a Nichols yeah. and May um, sketch, and you would try to update it. You'd pay homage, basically, basically, to it. So it was sort of a <laughs> it was a show that we kind of fell in love with as a way to see what people were inspired by and kind of introduce them to old uh, comedy from yeah. yesteryear, and oh, also cool. see what it felt like through the modern <laughs> modern lens, and also an opportunity yeah. to take a, a snazzy photo. Yeah, what was the Marx Brothers scene you did? I ended up doing a, my wife and I did, we did a few scenes. We did Nichols and May is what we ended up doing. So it was sort of an homage to the Marx Brothers, but we found, uh, we took an old Nichols and May sketch about, as a lot of theirs were, were about relationships at that time period. I can't remember which one it was. And then we we took kind of the initial beginning parts of the sketch and redid it in like 20... That might have been 2010 when yeah. when things were going out with sort of the anxieties of the day. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we paled in comparison to the the wit of Nichols and May, but uh, it was it was it was a great show. Yeah, well, that's cool that you respect the people who came before you. I think comedy wise, I I I love kind of looking back, and I think that was part of Chicago. You get there and you sort of fall in love with the history of the improv and the sketch world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you start to study that and see where these comedians came from, what they were interested in. And part of that with improv and with sketch is specifically improv. It's a pretty new art form. You can still meet and yeah. talk to a lot of the people who were there at the forefront. And so if you like to nerd out like I do, it's it's uh, fascinating. <laughs> yeah, because I've had some of those guys like David Steinberg who were kind of there at the very beginning mm-hmm. of improv in Chicago and so forth. Yeah. yeah. They're still there. They're still opinionated about it. Yeah. And like it, it's also been an art form that has sort of evolved in a way and you can watch how those opinions evolved over these last 50 60 years well you joined the daily show as a field reporter in 2014 and one thing that i always enjoyed about you is that you're never too locked into a character that you can't play both sides of an issue or come at someone from an alt-right or a liberal perspective depending on where the conversation goes or what's funnier in the moment do you consciously have to walk that tightrope so you can leave yourself enough room to be nimble in an interview. You're giving my acting chops way too yeah. much credit. I think you might have just, <laughs> okay. that might have been the, the, the nicest way to say, like, you are so bad at keeping character. It seems like <laughs> you just flip-flop. <laughs> no, I think part of the role of a correspondent is to have conviction in mm-hmm. uh, your own perspective, but you might not have validity in your uh, uh, ideology. Yeah. And so... I think when we approach pieces, we, we do come in with a pretty clear point of view of what we think we want to say with the piece, mm-hmm. um, with somebody who is an unreliable narrator. And so <laughs> I think it does tend to uh, help when you can kind of heighten the point of view that you do find perhaps somewhat ridiculous in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I think, think, you know, not necessarily being tied into an ideology gives you a little bit more leeway to also poke poke some fun, uh, and poke some holes in both sides. Mm-hmm. And so you try to keep that open. 
Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the dummy's not smart enough yeah. to pick an ideology. When you watch the finished product, do you ever feel slightly guilty or do you feel that you give them the room to dig their own hole? You know, I gave up my soul a good <laughs> yeah. three years ago when I took the job at The Daily Show. Uh-huh. I mean, we always, I feel, you know, we, we go in with a very clear point of view. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if people dig their own graves, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not going to hand them the shovel, but I might... Uh, I might gesture over to the corner where the shovel is. Uh, if they want to to dig it, go for it. Enjoy it. It's nice and cold down there. Um, maybe lie on out. Um, but I think that the goal for us is to let's let's see how these people want to address any of these issues and yeah. and give them space to do it. Well, the, some of the best stuff was during the election. You did a number of field pieces at these Trump rallies, trying to understand the elusive Trump voter. In one of those, you pretty much just gave them the mic and let them dig their own grave, like you said. You let them spout off conspiracy theories like Hillary has AIDS. She got it from Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton got it from Magic Johnson. Or (laughs) Obama was part of 9-11 somehow. Do you think that these people really believe these things? Or do you think that they're maybe trolling you and just trying to get on TV? (laughs) I think it's a little bit of both. I think I'm constantly surprised. People want to be on television. They do. And even at these Trump rallies, uh, we saw an evolution towards uh, more distrust towards the media. So there was, it got a little bit contentious uh, mm-hmm. as the campaign went along, but still people really wanted to be in front of a camera and be heard. Uh, and people want to believe in a lot of these things. I saw people who really bought into, I'm, I'm pro-Trump, I love Trump, and all I need is evidence to support that. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm, if I'm grabbing at straws, as long as those straws can be built a little protective weapon for me to, to <laughs> sling at somebody else, I will, I will use them. Um, the big thing that we noticed, me and the producers who would go out, is like you would hear them uh, at the beginning, the first few Trump rallies we went to. They were there, but they were sort of like background noise. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, maybe they were kind of being okay. whispered about, but nobody would say them to my face. The By the friend. end, they were, they, were, they were brought out and people were eager to talk about them. They wanted to fill all of the space with those conspiracies. So it didn't take much to get uh, that kind of information out. People wanted to talk about it. They wanted to talk about Barack Obama and 9-11 um, <laughs> <laughs> because those are those are two ideas they've heard. So why not just put them together and create a conspiracy? Bam, done. New president. You know, there's such an assault on the media and on the free press under Trump right now. It seems to me that the type of comedy that The Daily Show and you are doing, it's a better way to approach these issues from a sideways angle than to just head on, try and defend yourself against this massive mongrel horde that's after all journalists. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think the journalists are, who are doing Yaman's work and, mm-hmm. and busting their ass, I feel like, you know, kudos and please stay strong. I do think a benefit of a show like The Daily Show or satirical uh, work is that you we're upfront about the bias that we approach it with. You know mm-hmm. that you're watching a comedy show that's coming at a news story with an angle. And so it's for you to parse apart some of those issues. Um, so perhaps that's a that's a benefit in this day yeah. and age. I don't claim to be uh, a journalist. I don't claim to be the person who's giving you the news. But hopefully yeah. you understand that I'm, I'm coming at it from an angle. Yeah. And from that, you can do a little bit of the work as to what you want to get from it. Well, is it almost a little bit unfair for us to expect journalists in the media to be completely 100% unbiased? <laughs> uh, I, I think you're right. I think, I mean, I think what we need to be open about is where those biases are. It'd, mm-hmm. be, it'd be, you know, I've done some pieces on The Daily Show that were trying to deal with like police bias. 
And actually, what was really vivid and interesting, it was like the progressive police departments that were able to talk about it from the point of view of like, let's just accept that we have bias. Let's stop fighting about the idea that like bias exists. Right. And once you accept like, oh, we have bias, that doesn't make you a bad person. Bias doesn't mean you're a racist. Like once we make that connection, now these police departments won't discuss the idea of bias because it's, we're accusatory, we're, we're labeling one another. Once we can accept that we have bias, these police departments are like, all right, now how do we deal with the fact that my instinct is to do that? Like it'd be nice to have that kind of an open conversation with the press, but I do think right now we love to go from zero to 100 just like mm -hmm. that. And so it goes to hyperbole and the news doesn't become biased, it becomes fake, mm -hmm. it becomes lies. And I think... Uh, sadly, I don't know if our culture is nimble enough to have that conversation right now. Yeah, and speaking of free press, and this kind of goes into this special that you have on Comedy Central, um, have you been surprised during your work in the field at the degree to which Tea Partiers who carry around a copy of the Constitution in their pocket and rail about the Second Amendment got behind Donald Trump and by virtue of their support for the candidate seem to suddenly be way, 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 way more flexible on freedom of religion, the 14th Amendment, birthright citizenship, freedom of the press, even freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think especially religion was one that I was kind of like, oh, wow, all these evangelicals are going to jump on the Trump train. I think it exposed to me just how powerful tribalism is. It's mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's oh, this is football. You know, it's oh, you get your team, and then <laughs> you might be a huge Florida State fan, and then oh shit, uh, there's some terrible allegations came up about what some of your players did. Well, you you'll look the other way because the team is more important yeah. than the allegations or what have you. And it's like, oh, you know, all of these things that we stood behind or evangelicals would stand behind or some of these groups would. It was like, oh no, it's just more about your guy winning. I think yeah. that was that was that was something that definitely depressed me over this entire election cycle. Was we cared much less about you know these issues that we would stand behind, and more so about our guy winning. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with the Daily Show's Jordan Klepper when we come back in just a moment. In today's digital economy, customer experience is the new competitive edge, and the Couchbase Engagement Database is the only database specifically designed to deliver the brilliant experiences that keep modern customers coming back for more. Old-school transactional and analytical databases can't deliver the exceptional experiences customers expect today, much less the ones they'll demand tomorrow. But the Couchbase data platform is built on the most powerful NoSQL technology to give your web, mobile, and Internet of Things apps unparalleled agility, manageability, and performance at any scale. You can learn more at couchbase.com slash kickassnews. It supports millions of interactions while easily adapting to changing business requirements. It's always on and always fast with consistent high performance and built-in fault tolerance. It keeps your data secure everywhere. It has built-in smarts for highly personalized engagement. It's right at home on-premises, in the cloud, or as a hybrid. And it gives users a seamless, amazing, and always-on mobile experience. Ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Learn more at couchbase.com slash kickassnews. That's couchbase.com slash kickassnews. And now, back to the podcast. 
I think that's a good seg into this new one-hour special that you have. Or what did we decide we were calling it? A one-hour comedy investigative special? Yeah, I like that. There was a discussion before we went on mic on what, what this is. What is this thing? Yeah. All I know is I solve guns. That's what you okay. need to know. You okay. know. Through comedy, through investigation, through showing my ass, guns are solved. <laughs> oh, that was your ass. That was my okay. ass. I wasn't sure. Okay, I thought it might have been <laughs> did, a double. Yeah, we did, you thought I hired some lankier, hairier ass <laughs> to put on screen. No, I used my own. <laughs> well, yeah, you have Jordan Klepper Solves Guns that airs on Comedy Central June 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern. Want to get that plug in? <laughs> I love the title, Jordan Klepper Solves Guns, because it kind of pokes at the Trumpish political rhetoric of overpromising and offering easy solutions like we're going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. That's, yep. I mean, 100%. I think what we talked about with that and also talked about uh, playing these characters who have a pretty clear blind spot. Mm-hmm. I think this was a chance with the with the Daily Show. I've gotten a chance to do a bunch of pieces on the gun debate. And right. And that is something that what I, I walked away from every piece, I was astonished by how much common ground both sides ended up having on all of these discussions. Like, they're, they're, the issue was less about guns. It was the issue was the gun debate that Americans were having. Mm-hmm. And we were fighting about these big things. But there was a huge swath of the population that was totally on board on a lot of this, quote unquote, common sense uh, reforms or just ways to move forward. And so... You know, getting a chance to do a special, I thought this was this was a, a, a such a fertile ground and debate to kind of dive right into, um, and and why not do it with a totally hyperbolic idea of like, well, let's just solve it because that's what Americans want. We want to fix things. Solve what with guns? I well, uh, I, yeah, I uh, guns, just guns. That's what what we're solving. Which I think like pokes a little bit of fun, hopefully, at the left for. Uh, thinking there's a cure-all and what have you. But it's also a little bit of the point of view of the right who thinks that the left just want to get rid of your guns. (laughs) So I get to to jump into this uh, special from the point of view of somebody who just is trying to get rid of everybody's guns. I'm trying to solve it. And... And I, I got to tell you, it's a little bit bumpy. If you, if you watch <laughs> well, the special, really? it's I'm not shocked. as easy as you'd think. <laughs> you'd think you, you might need maybe an hour and a half special. You could definitely solve guns. Yeah. I mean, solving abortion. I'm sure that's like a that's maybe a half hour. <laughs> that's going to be an easy one. If a I, mini series. It's a, definitely. So, okay. <laughs> but it can be done. That's what okay. I, I, I hope people watch this special and they realize all of our problems can be solved with a humorous, comedic, investigative report on Comedy Central. Was the alternative title supposed to be uh, Jordan Klepper makes guns greater than they've ever been before? (laughs) That that was, yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, I like to think that I'm a moderate on guns and gun control. I'm not against guns. I've shot guns before. I have relatives who have guns, even a concealed weapon permit. But I think, you know... It's not like most people go around carrying a gun everywhere they go because they have to hunt for food or they have to defend themselves against stagecoach robbers or something. (laughs) Yet I see people get way more worked up over the Second Amendment than they do over things like health care or financial issues that have way more immediate relevance to them and their families' lives. It's like people getting frothed up about steam locomotives or something. Why is this, of all things such a passionate issue still for Americans. I think because nobody is talking about guns. They're talking Mm -hmm. about rights. They're talking about America. They're talking about patriotism. They're talking about family. Like, when we do talk about guns, we all agree about guns. The symbolism of it. Yeah, it's a Mm -hmm. a symbol. And so it's really hard to take that symbol away. And so you look at a group like the NRA, and they're going to wield that symbol. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be about 
America's trying to take away your rights. That, that is a hard thing to swallow. If you really buy into that, like, you don't want your rights gone. Like, mm-hmm. And they're trying to take away that, that connection you had with your family. Your grandfather used to shoot guns with you. Uh, America's coming for that. They, they don't want that. The liberals want to take that away from you. And so mm-hmm. that is something, I get it. I get why people get emotional. Uh, but that's also not what's happening. <laughs> like, the debate is being had by uh, the wrong people. And I think mm-hmm. you described, like, yeah, kind of a moderate on guns. I think most of America were moderates on guns. We 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 believe the same things. Like, there's going to be a little bit of discussion on both ends of it. But most people on the left are not out not out to to take away people's guns. Are not anti the Second Amendment. They're anti a bunch of people dying from guns. Which people on the right are also anti a bunch of people dying from guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're talking about flags and eagles, and and suddenly you're not talking about how to save people's lives. Yeah, and it is a big wedge that comes between personal friends and family, ruins Thanksgiving dinners. You even delve into these treacherous waters yourself a little bit by bringing on your, I think it was your cousin Pete. Cousin Pete. Cousin Pete, who happens to be a proud gun owner. Tell us a little about Pete and how, where he stands on this issue. Well, I think we, we were in dealing with this special. One of the big questions we have, which is a question a lot of people are dealing with right now, is like, can Americans' minds be changed? Can a liberal uh, go conservative and vice versa? Like, uh, what does it take to change somebody's mind in America? It feels nearly impossible. Yeah. And so we're like, guns, we're going to come in, uh, pun intended, guns blazing on this. <laughs> uh, but if we're going to solve guns, we're going to have to change the people's minds. Is that even doable? And I went right to my family. I went right to my Facebook feed. And we all have people on our Facebook feed who believe the opposite of what we believe ideologically. Uh, if you're conservative, they're going to be posting those liberal things and vice versa. Um, and I have a cousin, Pete, who I love to death. He's my uh, my cousin. known him since I was a little kid. He used to babysit me. Uh, and Pete was a Trump voter. He would post things about Trump. He'd post pictures of him hunting. And he was an outlier in the bubble that I live in in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so in in dealing with this gun issue, it was like, I, I want to talk to Pete and see what that would mean. What can I get him to switch his point of view on guns? I'm going to approach it somewhat comedically, but I'm going to earnestly go to Pete. I'm going to actually listen to him for the first time and try to <laughs> understand why he has three guns in his house mm-hmm. and why, and is it possible for me to get him to get rid of those guns? What's it going to take? And so yeah. part of that journey is <laughs> talking to other people, talking to professionals, and we kind of have fun. I hire a lobbyist to try to change Pete's mind. <laughs> um, uh, but in the reality of it all, it's like Pete and I are not that far apart. Right. We, we are right. cousins. We, we uh, might have voted for different people in the past election. Uh, he might have guns. I might not. But, mm-hmm. but what we believe about when it comes to guns are remarkably similar. And I think like breaking outside of those echo chambers was sort of the uh, ultimate goal mm-hmm. of, of that part of the special. Um, is part of the problem that some gun owners hear that government wants to, say, do background checks or have some form of gun control or regulation, and somehow their reptilian brain immediately hears that as the government's coming to take away my guns? I think that narrative has been put out into the ether. I think the NRA is great at pushing that. Mm-hmm. I went to the NRA convention. You watch some of these speeches, and uh, there are other people speaking for the gun owners right now. And I do think that is. Suddenly you hear, oh, uh, gun regulations means I'm going to lose my gun. Hillary Clinton is going to come for my gun. Like this this was, uh, this was what, this is what was talked about during the election. When Donald Trump would talk about what Hillary Clinton's going to do with guns, that's the way they talked about it. She's going to take guns away from you. Obama's going to take guns away from you. I, I'm 
guessing not a lot of people had guns taken away from them during the Obama administrations. In fact, uh, <laughs> a lot of gun like legislation uh, got looser during the Obama administration. Right. And I think... But gun sales also went up during the they, Obama administration. Exactly. <laughs> How do you figure that? <laughs> people get afraid that... Yeah. I mean, again, and you, you look at who's paying for what lobbying group, and mm. guess what? Gun manufacturers make a lot of money based on fear. And so if you can turn a narrative from... Uh, oh, there's there might be some uh, common sense gun regulations mm-hmm. coming to your state. If you can change that narrative to yeah. they're coming for your guns, <laughs> business is then booming for Smith and Wesson. And yeah, and you point out that only five percent of the gun owners in America actually belong to the NRA. So why does the gun lobby have such an outsized influence on our politics? Yeah, they're organized, they're passionate, uh, and they're local. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, they're incredibly elect, uh, effective because of the way in which they influence local elections. I mm-hmm. think the uh, left isn't doesn't have uh, as effective ground game or think as much about those local elections, but they really do make a difference. Uh, they have a lot of money, and I think that money can affect local elections in ways that uh, have statewide uh, uh, ramifications. Um, and they are incredibly passionate. I went to the NRA convention uh, a few weeks ago. And it is, it's an identity. They're great at building an identity. People are driving down to Atlanta from Minnesota because, not just because they're members of a lobbying group, but because they're members of an identity. They they go and they get um, hats and T-shirts and things that are all about mm-hmm. this patriot, this, this thing that they say is a patriotic identity. They see it as family. They see it as connection to their family. And I don't want to slight that. I see how important uh, and powerful that can be. But when you turn that into a lobbying force, uh, it's so much more effective uh, than it needs to be based on how actually big it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too bogged down in statistics here, Bog but it. you even point out that 74% of NRA members support background checks. Most of the guys you talked to were okay with background checks, mandatory waiting periods. So if the NRA's government policy isn't something that's voted on or run by the rank and file members or reflects their positions, then who is creating the policy at NRA? Is it the manufacturers? You know, you Pretty said much. it, not me. Okay. So if, 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 not, if the internet's going to turn on somebody, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, they get a lot of money from yeah. the manufacturers. And, and the manufacturers definitely uh, benefit when mm-hmm. um, regulations are lessened a hundred percent. I think like, again, fear is such a powerful tactic and mm-hmm. it's, it's wielded by that lobbying group in a way that, that is, is, is incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I, honestly, this special came out of such a frustration because all of those, we, we aren't as divided as, as we, we see on television every single right. day. And there are so many moderates and gun control is such an interesting issue because you know, 74% of NRA members want these background checks. Mm-hmm. You think background checks is such a, a volatile position to have? Like, are we for or against it? No. If, if you have a gun, I'm talking to gun owners. I went to Michigan. I went all over the place. I went to North Carolina, Georgia. It's like, if you have a gun and you're responsible with a gun, you should totally have that gun. That's your mm-hmm. right. That's your American right. That's part of the culture that we live in. And guess what you probably want? You want other people who have guns to be responsible with those. Mm-hmm. One, for safety. Right. Also, so they don't sully the idea of people having guns are right. dangerous. Like, that is something we can all get behind. Uh, I think, like, research for um, gun safety and how can we be effective uh, to, like, protect children to... Um, uh, to make sure they get, don't get in the hands of people who shouldn't have guns. That's something that's not left or right issue, mm-hmm. but it's become 
partisan. I think that's what's so infuriating about this debate is that this debate is so poisonous that we can't even have it anymore mm-hmm. because uh, there's this illusion that there's two very disparate sides. But there is just an America that that believes basically the same stuff. And it's common sense. And now that has been branded as a negative, <laughs> like for some reason, common sense yeah. is a pejorative. Uh, and we need to come up with a better word for it. Yeah. If, it's, if it's just uh, what we joke about in the special is like, people are dying in America. And if you like America, you want more Americans in America. It makes America more America. So let's just support more America. <laughs> I think we can all get behind that. Well, the Second Amendment talks about a well-regulated militia. You visited a militia in Georgia on the show, and this militia seemed anything but well-regulated or organized. (laughs) Do the militiamen, like these guys, or like the ranchers at the Oregon standoff, choose to selectively ignore that word regulated? (laughs) In terms of uh, whether or not they should have guns, what they do, I think... (laughs) Now, organization is one thing with these right. militias. I will tell you, they are, they're great at organizi- organizing a guy's weekend. It seems like that mm-hmm. was the big focus when I went down to Georgia. Uh, do they do it via phone tree or, or are they on Facebook? I, you know, they, they, I think they have a lovely little Facebook okay. group that they all okay. kind of organize within that. Um, what I found in going to, to this militia, one, like there is an identity based around guns. I was quickly, uh, I, was, I was very surprised when I arrived and, and saw what a weekend of militia training looked like because it was essentially camping and it was a bunch of guys who got together and they trained sure they did calisthenics they uh they gave a speech about different tactics in case um there's there's a governmental takedown that they need to be a part of like that was a part of that day the two days they spend there but you saw mostly people who were just who just wanted to find community. And yeah. if you pushed them, it's like, well, what about this gun stuff? They would like grasp at Sharia law or they would say kind of outlandish things about, uh. you know, governments coming for our guns. I don't think that was really why they were there. I think that was a, a good reason to be there uh, because the idea of just wanting to be together with a bunch of other guys uh, doesn't sound cool enough for television. Yeah, I mean, how many of these do you think it's just an excuse for them to give their wives to get away for the weekend with their buddies? <laughs> I think it's like, I'm going to go to the woods, I'm yeah. going to shoot a gun at a pig's head, yeah. and then I'm going to barbecue with some buddies and drink some Miller Lite. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, I'm being a patriot this weekend. Yeah. Oh, okay, go do that. Serve it, your country. Yeah, it's a way to go to the woods with your buddies for the weekend and not sound gay. So, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah, because, because you're doing your patriotic duty. It's <laughs> what the founding fathers did. Well, do you really need a militia anymore? I mean, when you talk to them, were they seriously afraid that something might happen that would necessitate a citizen's militia to take up arms against their own country or whoever the threat is? I mean, I think since Trump got in office, they, uh, that threat seemed – I think it maybe shifted. I was, I, was, mm-hmm. I was definitely more interested in, oh, tell me about this. If I want to protect myself from the government, oh, what do I need to know? Uh, <laughs> but I think they, they – for some of them, there is a deep-seated uh, fear – Mm-hmm. Of of the the worst happening, and that they should be prepared, and they should be in control of their own destinies if that takes place. So I I don't want to minimize that 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 being a reality, mm-hmm. um, but I do think uh, the general feeling that I got was uh, it, it felt like male empowerment. It was like mm-hmm. this feels like military for guys who only got one weekend a month. So um, that was something they were willing to give. 
the reasons for it, I think, varied as far as uh-huh. the people who were really uh, all in and the people who were just sort of all in for the weekend. I think the thing that I found most surprising for me is that apparently the ATF does not have any kind of searchable database on guns because I guess supposedly this sort of thing is against the law. In fact, you even say they have to dumb down data. Is this considered to be a right to privacy thing or what's behind that? It's this slippery slope argument. Uh, um, okay. They, uh, it's 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 right to pri- it's there's a giant fear of. Uh, that created by the NRA that, mm-hmm. you know, there will be this database and they will come for your guns. And so we can have, uh, there can be no paper trail as to anybody who buys a gun and what has you. But there is a paper trail uh, when you buy a gun. There are legal steps. There are things one. you have to to fill out. Um, what this is technically talking about is the ATF's tracing center, where mm-hmm. if you if a gun is used in a crime and they have to trace that gun to try to catch the person who has used it before they commit a crime again, or they try to close a case where a murder or something terrible has taken place, they need to figure out where that gun was purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what that is what police police officers do and have been doing. Uh, and when they reach out to different places where, where they were able to trace where that gun was bought, what we do find is when gun stores have closed down, then there is a database that takes in all of these gun records. But the NRA has fought tooth and nail to just make it damn near impossible for us to get our hands on the, these records. And so there's just there's there's an unbelievable amount of bureaucracy that's put between us doing a job that I think all Americans want to be done is when a gun is yeah. used in a crime, should we be able to figure out where that gun was used? Should we be able to do that as quickly as we can? Yeah. Because it is happening, but it's happening so much slower than it can. Right. So it's I don't think anybody's even making the argument that it shouldn't happen. We're just we're just in love with the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And I think we talk about this in the special, and I get to go to the tracing center, and it's just this perfect example of of how we're making it so hard on ourselves. It's like, come on, America. <laughs> why, yeah. why are we shooting ourselves in the foot? For God's sakes, yeah. you can have the gun. Just point it away from your foot. Yeah, I think you say that libraries are actually better at tracking stuff than we are at tracking guns. Yeah, we. it's, it's easier to sit down. Uh, you got the Dewey Decimal System there at a library yeah. now, yeah. but good luck tracing a, a gun if you're an ATF agent. Well, before we wrap up, uh, this fall you're going to be taking over the 1130 slot after The Daily Show. Uh, can you tell us anything about the new show? yet? Uh, uh, It's under wraps right now. I can tell you it's going to take place uh, this fall, uh, hopefully before the fall of Western democracy, which I think is going (laughs) to take place in June. So this is going to take place just after that. Um, We're focused on the gun special right now. And then, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more excited to to get a platform to to talk about this this crazy world we're in right now. Uh, I'm going to come out guns blazing. (laughs) Hey, the fall of Western democracy makes a hell of a lead-in. So, <laughs> once again, Jordan Klepper's one-hour special, Jordan Klepper Solves Guns, airs June 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern on Comedy Central. And look for his new late-night show in the fall, also on Comedy Central. Jordan, thanks for joining me. Ben, thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. A reminder, the Couchbase Engagement Database is the only database specifically designed to deliver brilliant customer experiences across all your web, mobile, and IoT apps. You get unparalleled agility, manageability, and performance at any scale, and your customers get continuously richer experiences. Learn more at couchbase.com kickassnews. Thanks again to Jordan Klepper for joining me on the podcast. 
His one-hour special, Jordan Klepper Solves Guns, airs Sunday, June 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern on Comedy Central. For more information, go to ComedyCentral.com and follow Jordan on Twitter at at Jordan Klepper. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. Don't forget to take our listener survey. It only takes five minutes at podsurvey.com slash kick. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com slash KickAssNews or click on the donate button at KickAssNews.com. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at KickAssNews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.